Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share real and personal stories of encounters with God. I'm your host, Robin, and I am here with Dawn, Katie, and Lindy. And it's our prayer at Storytellers Live that you would meet God in a new way through these stories, that you would know you aren't alone, and that you can discuss these stories with friends so that walls are broken down and community is built. Today on Storytellers Live, we have Martha's story, and it's always fun when we have a story of someone we personally know, and this one was recorded in Vestavia, and Lindy and Katie have known Martha for a really long time, and Dawn and I have gotten to know her, and so it's really fun to sit and listen to a story and then be able to talk about it. So Katie, tell us a little bit about Martha's story. That's right. I've had the privilege of knowing Martha for, gosh, 30 years now. We, We became friends in college and have kept in touch throughout the years, but She talks about the struggle that she's had with anxiety over the years. She talks about her need for approval. That's why we called it striving to be known, her constant um, searching for acceptance. But what I love about her is she points us right back to Jesus and God's Word and how powerful His Word is when we allow it to saturate our hearts. So I think you're going to really get a lot out of it. And here's Martha's story. We want to tell you about an amazing company for women called Bulo Solutions. Bulo is a staffing and recruitment platform connecting women, mostly moms, with innovative companies who offer flexible and remote jobs. You know, women sometimes struggle to maintain job demands and meet family and household responsibilities, and this can result in them pausing their careers until their children get older. But Bulo provides another option. The Bulo platform services flexible work opportunities with companies that respect women's choice to blend work and family. With Bulo, women don't have to choose. They can have a flexible career they love and still be with their families. Whether you're working full-time and you're looking for a more flexible career, or maybe you're ready to jump back in, Bulo can help you. Go to bulosolutions.com to sign up and complete your member profile. Don't forget to follow Bulo Solutions on Instagram and Facebook. Like Robin said, my name is Martha Dazio, and I was born right here in Birmingham. I've lived in Vestavia my whole life. I graduated from Vestavia High School. I went to Auburn, um, where I met those three incredible women. I'm married to Tommy, who's awesome, and I have five kids. Four are at Auburn. Hence the Xanax. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and um, one is at Vestavia High School, and I'm actually a paraeducator in the life skills class at the high school, and I love it. It's great. That's just a little background about me, and I do need y'all's prayers because all four of my Auburn kids are getting on buses to go to New Orleans for formal. So last night I was like, please don't die. Please don't get mugged. Please don't get arrested. You know, all those things that you tell your kids when they're headed to New Orleans. So... <laughs> Anyway, I'm very, so beyond blessed to be here. I asked Robin this summer if they would meet with me because I really felt like, you know, I have this story and I need to tell it. And I'll explain that to y'all as we go along. But um, what an incredible ministry. And I'm so thankful for Lindy and Katie, of course. Those two women have been a steady in my life since college and they're a huge blessing to me and so I'm just beyond thankful for the two of them and the whole team is just incredible. Okay, here goes my story. My mother died in a house fire when I was 18 months old. She was a struggling alcoholic. She and my dad were newly divorced at the time and she really had a lot of struggles with alcohol and her lifestyle was not anything that my dad 
wanted us to be around. She was 26 years old when she died. And luckily, my sister and I were not in the house. So that was a huge blessing. We moved in with my grandparents, my dad's parents, and my grandfather was an alcoholic. So at age six, my dad remarried again. And she had a daughter. And really and truly, it was just kind of a blur because within the year, they were divorced. And we moved back in with my grandparent. At age 10, my dad had dated this woman and they he remarried to her and she had two daughters that were right around the same age as my sister and I. It was it was an interesting time. Um, we very quickly found out that my stepmother was an alcoholic and had been an alcoholic for years. And my stu- my two stepsisters that we were living with, my sister and I were not close with at all. They were completely opposite of us. They were very worldly and, you know, kind of introduced us to a lot of things that we had not known before. And um, my stepmother was kind of in and out of rehab. She never was, you know, healed. She would just come right back and start drinking again. It was a really, it was a volatile time. Um <clears throat> She was verbally abusive a lot to my sister, and my sister was real confrontational with her. I, on the other hand, just kind of retreated back to my room. I stayed out of it, stayed out of the conflict, um, just sort of separated myself from everyone, and that was just how I coped with it. So several years into the marriage, my dad had just had enough, and he knew that it was just not the right thing for his daughters, and so they divorced. And they moved out, but it was just a really uncomfortable time because the girls went to the high school with us. So it was a daily reminder, you know, of everything that we had been through with them. Shortly after they divorced, I was 14 at Pazitz Middle School, and I started doing what a lot of children of alcoholics do, and I started drinking. I drank alone a lot. Uh, I drank before school functions. I was pretty much drunk all the time. Weekends, hanging out with the wrong people, wrong places, all the time. No business, 14-year-old girl had no business being with the people that I was with. And I just really and truly made terrible choices. Um, I made a lot of shameful mistakes at that time. And unfortunately, I remember most of them. You know, I was (laughs) Tommy and I were talking about last night. I was like, Tommy, why is it that... I can't remember what I went upstairs for or where my keys are or lo and behold to pick up a kid, but I can remember what I did when I was 15 years old in a drunken stupor. I mean, you know what I mean? It's just funny how your brain sort of works like that, but you know, it was just a lot of very shameful things that I did and um, that I am will probably take to my grave because that's just, I think, how our memories work. Right before I turned 16 on New Year's Eve, we were downtown, a bunch of us were downtown, and I behaved horribly. I did a lot of things that I'm terribly ashamed of and made some extremely bad choices. And um, I drank so much that I blacked out. And thank God I got home. Uh, My dad was out of town We kind of had a lot of freedom at the time. My sister was a little bit older. So we were at home by ourselves. And um, the next morning, I woke up in a total, complete state of shame. It was a real darkness that I had never felt before. I felt so dirty. I remember trying to shower 
like shower a lot thinking that would help. And I went and sat outside and sat in the sun thinking that that was going to help. And, you know, it was just, I really, at age 16, I wanted to die. And at that point, I decided to stop drinking, that that was what was making me feel like that. And I knew that if I didn't stop drinking, that I was going to end up like my mother, that I would be dead, you know, at 26, just like she was. So I decided to completely change my life. I was going to do better, and I was going to be better. So I went through Vestavia High School, and I was striving to be known, striving to be accepted, um, to make up for all of those mistakes that I had made. I went through high school, and I was Miss Everything. I was Miss Vestavia High School. I see Laura nodding her head. Um, <laughs> you were jealous, weren't you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was... Um, I was Miss Vestavia, I was SGA president, I was on the homecoming court, you know, you name it, I did it. And, you know, I was just constantly searching for acceptance, kept people at a distance. I was seeking attention anywhere I could get it, um, looking for that content feeling that I didn't have. Nothing satisfied me, just kept looking, kept looking. My junior year in high school, my dad remarried again, and she was fine. She was great, sweet lady, precious woman. They're still married. She's a wonderful person, but it didn't matter. This was my dad's, this was my third stepmother, and I was done. I was angry. I was lost. I was alone. My sister had gone off to college. I was there by myself, and I think I blamed her for a lot of that, and um, I felt very out of control. And the only thing I knew that I controlled were my actions, and so I began to starve myself. And it was the only thing that I had control over was my eating. And we all know that that's what anorexia is all about, is control. So I quickly became that anorexic. And, you know, it was fixed by sticking me in counseling. I went to a counselor that wasn't even a Christian, and it was probably did more harm than good. I was made to eat, watched over, you know, by my dad. And, you know, I... I Eventually was healed on the outside, but definitely not on the inside. And so I knew that I was going to go to Auburn and get away from everything, get away from my family, get away from all of my issues that I had dealt with. And I was going to start completely over, leave everything behind. And I'm so thankful for Auburn because it brought me those three women right there and this woman and that woman back. But, whew. It was just four more years of the same thing, just more searching, um, looking for attention, fulfillment, um, acceptance. And once again, at Auburn, I did the pretty much the same thing I did in high school. I was Miss Everything at Auburn. I was top five Miss Auburn. Um, I was a War Eagle girl with Sweet Katie. Um, I was on SGA, you know, all those things that I did. It was like busy, 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 busy. Just keep busy and you don't have to think about anything. And, you know, that's just what I did. That was all I knew. So I really tried it all, and that darkness just got bigger. So I got out of Auburn, and I was teaching school. I was living with Fleming in Birmingham. And, you know, it was just a, it was a, it was a fine time. And I would go to church, and I would reconnect with this really cute guy named Tommy. And we'd known each other at Auburn, and he's like a big teddy bear. 
You know, I knew that this guy was going to fix me. I knew that he was going to provide for me that life that I had always wanted, that I thought everybody else had, and he was going to give it to me. This dude was together. He didn't have any debt. He was a lawyer. He just got out of law school. He was making money, you know. And so I was like, okay, this guy's the total package. And, you know, I was going to church. I would see him at church. And, you know, I was doing my Bible studies. And, you know, everything looked good, looked great. And, man, I, I suckered him is what I did. He kind of thought I was the total package. <laughs> but he didn't know he was marrying crazy. So... <laughs> Anyway, um, so we got married, and immediately the darkness got bigger. So I thought, okay, the man didn't fix me, so a baby, a baby is what I need, and that will fix me. And so 12 months from my first, from the day I got married, 12 months later, I had my son, George, and the darkness got bigger. And so I thought, oh, well, one the man didn't do it, and one baby didn't do it, so two, two babies will fix me, and I will have the perfect family, and everything will be good. So 15 months later, I had my daughter, Frances, and there I was. Two perfect kids, perfect house, perfect husband, and the darkness got bigger. So three babies, maybe three babies will do it. So, I mean, the man didn't do it, and the first two didn't do it. So three, three babies is going to fix me. So 14 months later, I had my daughter Maggie, and her godmother is right there, my friend Paige. Um, so there I was with my three babies, three perfect babies, the perfect life, and the darkness got bigger. So, one baby didn't do it, two, three didn't do it. Heck, why not four? Four is my magic number. Four babies is going to fix me, and I will have the perfect life, the perfect family. At that point, y'all, I was finding my identity and being pregnant. It's all I knew how to do, and so I continued to do it. Tommy was lying with it because, you know, <laughs> you all know how I get pregnant. So, anyway, <laughs> so 12 months later, I had my son, Pete. There I was. Perfect family. Four perfect kids, the perfect husband, the perfect life. I had everything that I knew would make me happy. Finally, I had gotten what I thought was going to fix me. But all that darkness over the last 30 years, it completely swallowed me up. I was 30 years old. And I was back to that same girl at age 16 that wanted to die. I did not want to be on this earth anymore. The way I describe it is that I was standing at the gates of hell. I was exhausted. I was broken. I was guilty. I was desperate. I was angry. And I was experiencing a spiritual warfare between death and life. And at that point, at that point, I knew that I had way too much to live for. So I made the greatest decision that a human being can make. And for the first time ever in my life, I completely gave myself to the Lord. I gave him all of my shame, all of my self-worth, all of those bad decisions, a lifetime of comparing myself to others. I gave it to God. Now, I wish that I could say that we all lived happily ever after, but we all know that's not true, <laughs> right? Because there is no such thing. It took me a very long time. I went through intense counseling, 
Christian counseling this time. I started seeing a Christian psychiatrist who put me on regular medication. Um, I did a lot of sharing with my poor husband. God love that man. Um, (laughs) Bless his heart. And I did something that I hadn't done in 30 years. I rested and I learned how to get a good night's sleep. Um, And something that I did that was very difficult for me because of my pride, I got help with my kids. And that was a hard thing for me because I was the perfect mom. And, you know, that showed weakness, but it was necessary. And, you know, my sweet husband was great about it. But the most important thing that I did, the most important thing that I did was pray and study scripture. I mean, y'all, I carried around my Bible. And when I just felt that overwhelming, that anxiety creep in, and I would just break down in the grocery store or whatever, I studied scripture and learned God's truth. I learned God's truth, and I learned that the world's truth was the way I had been living and that it was just a lie. Through these things and through a very long process, I really learned how to be content in my situation and with my mental illness, with my anxiety, and I learned how to stop comparing myself to other people. I mean, y'all, I would compare myself to the garbage man. Oh, he's outside all day. He's way happier than me. I mean, who does that? (laughs) You know, and um, that was a huge thing for me. I learned that I don't deserve to live in darkness. God did not intend for me to live in that darkness. That was my choice. And I also learned that I will absolutely never, ever, ever choose this world over Jesus again, because I refuse to be back in that place ever. I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but I did feel like someone was missing. So (laughs) (laughs) yes, so I got pregnant and unfortunately we lost that baby. And so I still felt like someone was missing. And so I got pregnant again and we lost that baby But I still had that nagging feeling. Someone was missing. So um, I finally had my fifth child, Katie, who Paige's Paige's namesake. So um, at this point, no one was missing. You know, (laughs) we were done. It was all good. (laughs) Totally complete. So... um, So it was, it was great. And she was precious and all that. So, but the day I left the hospital, my, um, my doctor was like, Oh, your blood pressure's a little high. You're fine. She, she go home. So, uh, he shrugged it off. So I shrugged it off. He said, just to watch it for a few weeks, you know, whatever, give us a call. The next day, which was my first full day home from the hospital, um, Tommy kind of remembered to check my blood pressure. He started taking it. It was very high. And so he took it again. It was getting higher, a little bit higher every time. And I was mad because I was like, I am fine. And he said, you ain't fine, Martha. And so he called the doctor and put me in the car immediately and got me to the hospital. And I was in preeclampsia. They told me I was hours away from a stroke and that if I had gone to bed, I probably would not have woken up. I was in the hospital for two weeks laying on my back on a magnesium pump, which makes you feel like you have the flu. And I remember Ingram came in with a Protestant hymnal for this good old Catholic girl. And um, (laughs) I read that hymnal every day, all day. I still have it, by the way. I probably need to give it back to cover it. (laughs) But, you know, it 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 was a tough time. 
I couldn't see my kids and, you know, had a newborn at home. And so, you know, it was really just a, it it was a good time for our family because my mother-in-law came in and helped. My stepmother helped. My dad came and helped. And, you know, it was, it was, it was rough. It was dark, but I was on medication, so it was all good. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You know, once again, God brought me to my knees and he carried me back to health. And he showed me one more time, total reliance on him. God has given me so many miracles in my life. Three years ago, I had the enormous honor of giving my best friend, Susanna, my kidney. Nobody else in her family was a match. But I just knew that I was. I called it Robin. Robin was like, I'll do it if you don't. I said, no, I said it first. (laughs) Um, Y'all, it was was the most incredible experience. The doctor told us that we were as close as blood relatives. And we saw God's glory through the whole thing. And our friends were right there with us the whole time. Outside of my family, best thing I could ever do. It was awesome. I highly recommend giving a kid. <laughs> and as y'all can see, she's right here, and she's healthy, and she's beautiful, and she's kind, and she's loving. But the coolest thing is that when God made her and God made me in my mother's womb, he prepared me specifically to give my kidney to her. Best thing I ever did. Best thing I'll ever do. Thank you. It was awesome. So now I have these five great kids, amazing friends. I have two babies in heaven, and I have the most incredible husband. You know, he married crazy, and he lives with crazy. (laughs) But he's cool with it, which is amazing. Sometimes he'll go, have you not taken your medication? But, you know, that's okay. Um, I live with the fact that I will always have mental illness part of my life. It's like having diabetes, whatever. Y'all can see that I deal with addiction and anxiety on a daily basis. And a lot of that is genetics. Thank you, Adam and Eve. You know, um, I live with my anxiety, not daily, but hourly. I've really had to learn how to control it. I do not let it control me. The devil really knows how to get to me. And You know, like I told y'all, all all my life I compared myself to other people, and that really, I think, is what led to my search for acceptance. Comparison is the way I think that the devil brings all of our insecurities, all of our jealous thoughts, all of our inadequacies, our low self-esteem, all of that comes from comparison. I have had to learn not to listen to the world's whispers that pretty much get in your head a lot. But most importantly that I've really had to learn is that I cannot listen to my feelings. Feelings are fleeting. And most of the time they're not real. You know, um, the only thing that I can listen to is God's truth. God's truth through the scriptures. That's what's real, not my feelings. I have to go by what I know, not what I feel. I, um, my anxiety can get overwhelming at times. I tend to go on the manic side. And so I 
I have to use the tools that God has given me to bring me back to his truth. And um, that's medication. That's talking to people, people that you love, people that you trust. And if you don't have one, talk to this team. Talk to these women. You might not want me, but (laughs) not quite there yet. (laughs) But, um, you know, you've got to have one of those or you're not going to make it. She knows to answer my phone calls. I go to regular counseling still. I always will. I talk to my husband probably way too much. (laughs) And I share my story. Y'all don't understand what a healing thing this is for me to talk about what I deal with because there's so many of us I think that deal with all of this on a daily basis and so this is such a huge blessing for me it's it's just a way that I heal I want to break the cycle I want to break the cycle for my children I want my kids to know how to live with mental illness in a safe way in a godly way not a self-medicating way they know that they are predisposed to all of these things and They're aware of that, and we pray about it a lot as a family. I want people to know that comparison is dead end. It is of the devil, and that there is nothing in this world that provides us peace, and that only Jesus can save me from my own thoughts and from my feelings. You know, those thoughts that keep us performing, that kept me performing my whole life. My friend Kate Summer, the other night we were talking, and she told me something that I think is very genius. Um, When she feels those crazy thoughts, I'm sorry, I told everyone you have crazy thoughts. We all do. (laughs) That she, that she out loud will say, Jesus, I trust in you. Because when you say it out loud, it's true. You know, y'all, Psalm 63.3 says, God's love is better than life. And that's really all we need to know. God's love is better than the world. And to me, that just completely sums it up. It's all right there. In one, two, three, four, six words. I will always use the tools that he gave me to find peace until I get to my true home. Because this is not it. So, here I am. And now y'all know every detail about me. And you love me anyway. Which is pretty miraculous. But thank you so much to this ministry for having me. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you for praying for me, and I, of course, will continue to pray for everyone. And, you know, as women, we really have to stick together. So I love you guys. Y'all are awesome, and I just can't thank you enough. Doing better and being better, of striving to be known to make up for all of her poor decisions. Mm -hmm. That hit me so hard immediately Mm -hmm. when she talks about that in her story. How many of us can relate Mm -hmm. to... One, striving to be known by doing all the good things, by, you know, standing out in all these areas. And then that the root of that oftentimes is to make up for things that we've done in the past. Absolutely. <laughs> not the, the way, shame. Right, the shame. Not the mm-hmm. way God works, mm-hmm. but the way we work. Right. I think uh, with Lindy saying cover the shame, I think mm-hmm. so many of us, we all make poor decisions. Mm-hmm. We all make poor choices. And we all try to cover them up. By our um, trying trying to achieve things, yeah. approval from other people, 
Uh, I did love one of the things that she talked about was, you know, she'd gone through college and then she was like, I'm still not fixed. So I'll just find a husband to fix me. Yes. And I I thought, how often do we as women think that our husband is going to complete us? Thank you, Jerry Maguire. Right. Um, (laughs) To complete us. And he is just not made to do that. Mm -hmm. Only Jesus is. We talked about that in church this past week. Um, The guy was our, our pastor was jokingly talking about how he and his wife are like, I do not complete you. I do yes. not complete you back and forth. Um, cause, cause they can't. Yeah. Finding yeah. your identity in the wrong things. Of course. I love Martha's realness. I've known her for 30 years and I learned things in the story that I, I didn't know before. And I, her transparency of comparison, because as <laughs> women, we struggle with that. Um, whether you're, you know, you're looking at the highlights on social media of somebody else's life where I think, oh, you've got it better. You must mm-hmm. not struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I can so relate with that comparison is the killer of contentment. Mm-hmm. And if I, if I continue to compare myself to others, then I, I'll never measure up. Mm-hmm. And the world seems to make comparison so much louder mm-hmm. with social media and with the Internet and everything. It just seems very, very loud in our ear to look at others um, but like she was saying too, that God, he doesn't intend for us to live in darkness. And yeah. I want to touch back on the shame portion that, um, I, I could really relate to what she was saying because we all live in shame. You know, we've all made mistakes. We're all sinners, but her reminder to live by what you know, and that is the word of God. Um, and, and she not, went through that season yeah. of pouring into the word of God and right. learning it yeah. and not relying on our feelings. But for me personally, that realization really came by seeking Christian counseling. Mm-hmm. So I really want to encourage anyone who is suffering to go that step and acknowledge that that there is help out there and to seek mm-hmm. Christian counseling. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we were, I mean, we were made for community, first of all. Right. Um, second of all, you know, going back to what Lindy was saying about she really poured herself into God's Word and knowing it. I think right. there's one thing for us yeah. to be able to just go and read God's Word and kind of that check it off. We did it. We spent our quiet time with Him. But we have to be able to pull out His promises in order to fight the lies of the enemy. You know, when the world is what she said, whispering these lies to us, we need to be able to recognize them as lies and be able to replace it with God's truth. I loved Psalm 63, 3 that she shared with us um, that God's love is better than life itself. But I think the whole chapter of Psalm 63 is such a beautiful picture of, um, of how God wants this relationship with us. In the Passion Translation, it's actually titled Thirsting for God. And the first two verses before uh, Martha's verse of, of um, 3 says, Oh God of my life, I'm lovesick for you in this weary wilderness. I love that word, lovesick. I thirst with the deepest longings to love you more, with cravings in my heart that can't be described. Such yearning grips my soul for you, my God. I'm energized every time I enter your heavenly sanctuary to seek more of your power. I love that too. I'm energized every time I enter your heavenly sanctuary to seek more of your power and drink in more of your glory. And this was Martha's verse, for your tender mercies mean more to me than life itself. How I love and praise you, God. I just think if you have the opportunity, look up Psalm 63, the Passion Mm -hmm. Translation, and read. There's 11 verses. Read them and let them just soak into your heart and let God just speak to you, especially if you're in one of these moments where Martha talked about of just being overwhelmed by the lies of the world right. for any of us. Seek his truth. 
Um, yeah, Katie, that's, I mean, that's so powerful. And the Passion Translation mm-hmm. is, is my favorite translation um, of the Bible. And to wrap this up, you know, going back to the heart of storytellers, and at the very beginning of this discussion, Lindy talked about knowing Martha for 30 plus years and not knowing parts of her story. And so much of Martha's story itself was so sweet that her best friends were sitting in the room. Mm-hmm. And that's where we've seen God really move in storytellers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've we've watched women show up to support their friends and, and reach out to their friends and just this sense of community that's being built. And when we're sharing our stories, that's the importance of, of sharing our stories is that people who've known us for 30 years may hear something that they didn't even know. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why it's important for us to just not share publicly on a podcast, you know, but to sit with friends. We say every week, sit with your friends over coffee and talk about these mm-hmm. story, stories and discuss them and, and share and pass them along. And so we would love for you to join us in that every week to share these and to go online and, you know, go on iTunes. We say it's important because it is for you to subscribe to the podcast and rate and review so more people can find this and find hope and encouragement mm-hmm. in Jesus. And if you want more information, you can go to storytellerslive.org and you can sign up for the email list and find out where we're meeting in different communities every week and um, find us on Instagram and Facebook. And please talk to us. We want to hear from you. We want to hear what you like about the stories. We want to hear more of, of stories you want to hear so that we can provide. So thanks for listening and hope you can join us next week. <laughs>